you open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I appreciate Roger using that to get our minds focused for worship this evening. As he mentioned, we've been reading this past week in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And I would like to build everything that we're about to talk about together this evening on a simple phrase that we ran across in our reading this past Tuesday. If you weren't reading along with us, it's fine. I invite you to open your Bible and you'll be able to see where we've been and hopefully it will serve as a kind of kindling to read 1 Thessalonians 4 as he mentioned just a little while ago. Thank you for being here. I hope you've had a good day. You are an encouragement to me by being here this evening. Let me just ask you very, very personally before we go another step forward. Do you believe those words that Roger read at the top of the hour? Do you believe the the good songs that have stood the test of time? The, The words of those songs that we have sung together. Maybe you're not sure you believe those. And if so, we're glad that you're here. I'd love to talk with you after our time together. I know that Roger would love to talk with you. This room is full of people who would love to talk with you about reasons to believe. For instance, what Roger read to us. Do you believe that those who have died are just asleep? They still very much exist. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Do you believe that even as He died and rose again, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. We read that from 1 Thessalonians 4. Do you believe that the Lord Himself will descend? With the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, do you believe That the dead are going to rise. And that we will all stand before Him. Again, if you're not sure you believe that, we're glad that you're here. And we invite you with an open Bible to follow along with us. But it's good to come face to face with straightforward questions like that especially in light of what we want to talk about. Because if you believe that, there are three really important things that the Apostle Paul and really all of these writers of the New Testament would have us to periodically think about. And we want to do that this evening. If you're not sure that you believe those things, I want to show you in the Bible these three things and I would really 
humbly encourage you to wrestle with these three things this evening. The first of them isn't really fun to talk about. It is, I would suggest to you, the most terrifying, sobering reality in the universe. And I thought long and hard, probably too long, about how, how to phrase that, not to do it in a way that is overstating, inflating in any way, but I, I really believe that. And I want to show you this evening why I, I, I really believe that. What would you say is the most terrifying, sobering reality in the universe. For, for some, they would look within and they would use words like cancer or heart disease or, or, or Alzheimer's. But it's, it's bigger than that. For some, they would look outwardly and they would use words like tornadoes or earthquakes or terrorism. But it's, it's bigger than that. You might keep your hand here in 1 Thessalonians 1 or put your marker there and actually go with me before we're there to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. While you're turning there, let me just lay all of my cards on the table this evening. I want to talk with you about the most sobering, terrifying reality in the universe, but I very quickly want to follow that up because the Holy Spirit very quickly follows that up with the remedy. That's His word. The remedy to the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe. And then number three, I want to talk about us. In the meantime. And we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit to flesh that outline out for us using 1 Thessalonians in just a few moments. But first, if your Bible is open there to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, let me show you that we are not the first to have this reality brought right in front of our noses. In fact, this is one of many, many passages we could show, but this will more than suffice. This is after the northern kingdom of Israel has been carried away a long time ago. This is after wicked king after wicked king and corrupt high priest after corrupt high priest has refused to listen to God, refused to turn, refused to listen to warnings. I'd suggest to you that 2 Chronicles 36, 15, and 16 might be one of the saddest summaries in all of your Old Testament. Here it is, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent. God cared enough to sin. In fact, he cared enough, he was patient enough to send persistently to his people by his messengers, prophets, and priests, and, and kings. 
And he did that. Don't take my word for it. It's right there in verse 15. He did that. He sinned persistently because he had compassion. He had compassion on his people. They were his. And he was theirs. As long as they were willing to walk in the light as he is in the light. He had compassion on the land he had given them to dwell in. He had compassion on the great city that he had promised to dwell within, and and specifically the temple that was built within that city. But there was a problem, and the problem wasn't with God. They kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets, until until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people. Until there was no remedy. I I would humbly but very confidently suggest to you that is the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe. The rising of the wrath of the Lord. If you're in our building blocks course of studies. You know on Wednesday evenings we've been wrestling with this dynamic that unashamedly is presented to us in Scripture. We've, we've been on Wednesdays in Exodus 34 leaning on the most often referenced series of words in all of your Old Testament. And we've learned that the Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You read that everywhere all over the Old Testament. And we have it most clearly, of course, in the face of Jesus Christ. But what we've been trying to notice is the same God, perfectly holy, perfect in every way, can be gracious, merciful, and angry. This past Wednesday, we we did our best to appreciate that phrase, slow to anger. He does not have the the bent that he is quick to angry. His, His default is not Anger. I suggest to you his default is compassion and patience. This is a a great example of that. But let's all come face to face with this reality that it is not a compassionate God or an angry God and you decide which sort of God you want to have. It is a compassionate God who sent 
persistently, but got to the point in his relationship with these people that his wrath rose. And I suggest to you that you and I, just as these people had, we've got really three basic options available to us when it comes to what are we going to do with that? I can ignore it, number one, just like a doctor can tell me, listen, this is what's going on in your body. This is what's going on in your arteries. This is what we have seen as we study the human body. And if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you have every reason to be concerned. Maybe in the long term, maybe in the short term. You can hear that. You can walk out. You can get in your car. You cannot give it another thought. You can ignore it altogether. Now, you know, just as surely as I know, that doesn't change what the doctor has told you. It's just your choice as to how to deal with it, right? It's my choice. What am I going to do with what God has revealed to me over and over again? Well, I, I can ignore it. Or, number two, I can downplay it. Yeah, it it has been an issue for others at some point in the past, but it's really not that big of a pressing deal for me right now where and when I live. Plenty of people have done that, right, throughout human history, throughout biblical history. We read about people who were fully aware of the wrath of God rising in ages, generations past, but we don't need to worry about that right now. We, we've got it under control. Things may not be exactly the way that they should be, but we have no reason whatsoever to believe that that could happen to us in our own generation. And we can have people who are very talented, very, very well-spoken, very persuasive, who would lead us to believe that. But would you agree with me that we're not dealing with their wrath, we're dealing with God's wrath. And whatever we choose to believe doesn't change His character. So what am I going to do with it? I suggest to you there are only three options. I can ignore it. I can downplay it. Or I can accept the remedy for it. That leads us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where you have your Bible marked. On Tuesday, I, like many of you, was reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I came to this powerful phrase, last phrase in 1 Thessalonians 1. We have it as verse 10. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that got me thinking about where we were this past Sunday morning. You can keep your hand there. We'll come back to 1 Thessalonians. You might open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 1, where we'll read together in just a moment. Last Sunday morning, if you remember, we built as we were exploring this idea from passages of Scripture that we've been reading in the Old Testament, 
What an awesome privilege and blessing it is to draw near to God. But also, if, if the second half of Exodus and the book of Leviticus teaches us anything, surely it is a, a fearful, what ought to be a reverent exercise. It is a costly thing we learn to draw near to God and it really all after 30 35 minutes or so led us to this bedrock that I want to remind you of this evening there isn't anything amazing about grace if there isn't anything serious about sin there isn't anything amazing about grace if there isn't anything fearful about holiness. And that really big idea stretches to, really from Leviticus, where we were, to 1 Thessalonians, where we are. Before we get back there, your Bible is open to Romans chapter 1. If 2, Corinthians, or 2 Chronicles chapter 36 is one of the saddest summaries in all of the Bible, I suggest to you that Romans chapter 1 verse 18 is one of the clearest warnings in all of the Bible. <clears throat> it uses that same word that we ran across in 2 Chronicles 36. Wrath. Verse 18, 4. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? God's holiness is awesome. God's holiness is absolute. It ought to be fearfully respected. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely good. He is infinitely true to his own character, which means our sin is serious. The effects of our sins are brutal. And God's wrath is an expression of His holiness, His righteous hatred of sin. His wrath is what we deserve for our sin. The reason we don't get what we deserve immediately is, we heard it in 2 Chronicles 36, He is compassionate. He is patient. But here's the clear warning. His wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress that truth. Keep reading with me a little in verse 19. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They became claiming to be wise fools, and He changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He goes on to describe this downward spiral. You can see verse 29, for instance, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And the word that he uses over and over and over again in chapter 2 is Wrath. Look at verse 5, for instance. Because of your hard and impenitent heart. Well, that's, that's exactly what we were just reading about in 2 Chronicles. But this time it's not they and them. It's, it's you. It's me. It's us. Are storing up for ourselves on the day of wrath. We're storing up wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It is the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe. But number two, there is a remedy. And we're going to work our way back to 1 Thessalonians 1. You, you can turn back there if you'd like, but let me just remind you of significant gospel passages that introduce us and, and deepen our understanding of this remedy. How complete and deliberate and patient and effective this remedy is. This remedy is not an it. It's a person who was born to deliver us from the wrath of God. Paul in Galatians 4 and verse 5 puts it this way. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. What law? The law that had been broken. The law of a perfectly holy, righteous God. And this remedy was born to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This remedy lived among us to deliver us from the wrath to come. It was said of him before he was born. His mother is going to bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This remedy died to deliver us from the wrath of God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5 verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, this remedy, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, our remedy, Christ, died for us. 
And I want you to notice, it's a thread all over the Bible. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more will we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Why should we even listen? Because lots of people have been born, lots of people have lived, whole lot of people have died. But this remedy was raised in order to deliver us from the wrath to come. In Romans 8, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, if He is for us, who can be against us? Listen, He's not going to change who He is. He is infinitely holy, infinitely just, infinitely good, infinitely true to His own character. And He's compassionate enough not to spare His own Son. In order, number one, to be true to who He is, and number two, to provide a remedy for the most terrifying, sobering reality in all of the universe. How will He not with Him graciously give us? If all of that is true, all things, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If He says, I am His, and He's the one who's justified me in order for me to be able to say, He is mine. Who can condemn me? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And He didn't just die. He died for me. More than that, He didn't just raise from the dead. He was raised for me. He is at the right hand of God. He indeed is interceding for us. He is coming he was born he lived he died he was raised he is coming to deliver us from the wrath to come hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment so you see, those, those questions that we started with are really, really, really relevant. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that He's only the first? That you also will be raised from the dead? And that you will stand before this infinitely holy God? After death comes judgment. And if that's all that we have this evening, all that we have is the most terrifying, sobering reality in all of the universe. But the message of the Bible is, don't ignore that reality. Don't downplay that reality. Accept the remedy for that reality. What was said of those people in 2 Chronicles 36 doesn't have to be true of me, and it doesn't have to be true of you. The wrath of God is going to rise, but we know what the remedy is. 
more accurately, we know who the remedy is. The one who's been offered once to bear the sins of many. Who's going to appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. He has served as the sacrifice for sins. He's coming to save. Those who will eagerly wait for Him. Could I just plead with you here at the beginning of a what will be a busy, hectic, hard, unexpected week full of unexpected challenges? Could we all just slow down this evening long enough to realize, listen to me, every man-made thing is going to let you down. Every man-made thing, sooner or later, every man-made thing eventually will have its hidden weaknesses exposed. Only Christ will not fail. So, I told you we'd come back to 1 Thessalonians before we're done. 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's just allow the Spirit. Most terrifying reality in all of the universe. Here's the remedy. In the meantime. That's 1 Thessalonians 1. Verse 2, first of all. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's the meantime. However that meantime lasts, you and I right now are in the meantime. And one day that meantime is going to come to an end. It's not like a southern Indiana snow forecast. Maybe it's going to snow eight inches. Maybe it's going to rain. Who knows? This isn't a fickle weather forecast. In the meantime, the Word is available. In the meantime, we're to shine as lights in this dark world. That's verse 7. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This world needs light this week. Let's be that light. This week. In the meantime, it's verse 8. We're to sound forth the word of the Lord. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This world needs hope this week. And I want you to listen to me. Never in the history of of mankind has it been easier for you to help the word of the Lord sound forth. 
tools abound. How will we spend our meantime? 1 Thessalonians 1, it's verse 9. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Are there things about God we don't understand? Most certainly there are. I suggest to you, you don't want a God you can fully understand. Otherwise, He's not God. If He's a God and you're a human being, you shouldn't be able to fully wrap your mind around the depths and the breadth and the height and the, the, the width of, of who He is. But you can turn to Him. Especially from what you know is worthless. And will let you down. In the meantime, it's verse 10. We are to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. And here is our phrase, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We will sing it off and on all year long, in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I stand. And He stands in victory. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am His. And He is mine. Before you close your Bible, would you open it with me to John chapter 3, to the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. And I'm, I'm glad that the world knows where John chapter 3, verse 16 is. John chapter 3, verse 16, has a context. And it's that context that I'd encourage you to think about as we stand in just a moment and sing this invitation song. You've heard it how many times? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Look down 20 verses later, the last verse of the chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on Him. You see, there's, there's just one remedy. And that remedy, go with me to the other end of the chapter, John chapter 3 and verse 3, said, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so there it is. Citizenship in the kingdom of God or the wrath of God abiding on me. We're going to stand and, and we're going to sing a very sobering question. What will my answer eventually be? When God show, so plainly showed me these two paths. The wrath of God that I deserve. The wrath of God that has risen in the past. The wrath of God that some experienced because there was no remedy. But when he has given so much in order for that remedy to be available to me, what will my answer be if I choose not to accept it? Maybe you're here this evening and, and you've gotten to the point in your understanding that you know it's, it's time for you to accept it. Listen to what the remedy said. Born of water and the Spirit. It was explained as repenting and being baptized in the name of Jesus in Acts 2. It was described as being joined together with Christ in Romans chapter 6. Maybe you're ready this evening to confess your belief that Jesus is the Son of God and your, your desperate need for Him. And you're, you're ready to enter into a covenant relationship with Him by being buried with Him in baptism. If so, you can walk out of here having accepted the only remedy for the most terrifying reality in all of the universe. Whomever you are, we want you to be ready. And if there is any way, and I mean that, any way that we can help you this evening to be ready, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing to encourage you?